Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 312. Quick week here at the back of the range. So the introduction is going to be rather short, which I know won't get too many complaints. Lots of moving parts this week, so make sure that you are following along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything you need to know about the back of the range, go to thebackoftherange.com. The next three to four weeks will include the finale of the Elite Amateur Golf Series at the Western Amateur, the U.S. Amateur at Cherry Hills in Denver, Colorado, and then the Walker Cup in St. Andrews. So I'm getting prepped for one final massive push this summer on this great ride. Before getting to my conversation with the new Southern Amateur champion, Nick Kabrelsik, and recapping the amazing week we all had at the Honors Course in Utua, Tennessee, I'm pleased to be joined again by Andy Priest, the Executive Director of the Southern Golf Association. He's also the Executive Director of the Alabama Golf Association and one of the key figures responsible for putting together the Elite Amateur Golf Series. Yes, Andy's business card is actually the size of a 5x7 index card. Now, there were some challenges put in front of Andy and his team at the Southern Golf Association to get this championship completed and in the books. So we spoke about the weather that came through Tennessee last week at the honors course and the, quote, all-hands-on-deck attitude that got everyone to the finish line. Now, don't forget, this week the Elite Amateur Golf Series is north of the border, the Pack Coast Amateur is currently underway at Capilano in Vancouver, British Columbia. After this tournament concludes, all eyes will shift to the grand finale of the series, the Western Amateur. Winning the Western by itself is one of the most prestigious accomplishments in amateur golf, but there is so much more on the line this year. The Western will determine where players finish in the Elite Amateur Cup standings, which means there are Corn Ferry Tour exemptions up for grabs, PGA Tour starts up for grabs, exemptions into next year's final stage of U.S. Open qualifying, and if you're an American on the shortlist for the Walker Cup team, well, a good week in Chicago might reserve your seat on the flight across the pond to St. Andrews. Let's jump into this episode right away. Andy, welcome back to the back of the range. How are you? I'm great, Ben. A uh, little tired after last week, but uh, doing doing well overall. Glad to have that one uh, in the rearview mirror a little bit for you, us. But you great and, to be back. Yeah, you and me both. We've been we've been talking a lot this summer. Obviously, leading into the Elite Amateur Golf Series, and I, I'm I still I know it's so cliche, but I still cannot believe that we are basically on the eve of the sixth out of seven series events we're heading into the pack coast we're going to talk a little bit about what happened at the southern amateur at the honors course in utah tennessee but man did you see this summer going as quickly as it did you know it's funny every year we have a group of interns that work with us uh, through the usga boat ride program um and i i sit them down the, for their first day and tell them in a blink of an eye the summer's going to be over and they kind of look at you like, oh, yeah, whatever. But to your point, you know, here we are, we're almost to August. And it just feels like uh, it was college conference 
season back in April, not too long ago. And here we are almost to the national championship uh, for amateur golf at in, in Denver. So it's uh, it does. It, it, it goes quick. It goes fast. And a lot of things have happened um, throughout this summer uh, that that we usually kind of see that somebody gets hot or a couple players get hot and start separating themselves from from uh, from everybody else and, and, and are standing out. So and I'm sure we'll we'll touch on some of that, too. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy summer for me with all the travel and just being at all these great tournaments and, uh, you know, seeing everyone and, you know, the, the guys. <laughs> it's funny. They're they're no longer. Ex- well, I can't, can't say they're no longer excited to see me, but they're no longer like, oh, Ben's here. It's like, oh, I just saw him three days ago. Yeah, we, we just <laughs> run the same flight or, um, you know, we we're just talking as we we're doing long drives. So, yeah, it's been it's gone by in a blink of an eye. Um you know, the Southern Amateur was was really special at the honors. And, you know, the, one of the things that, that really, I mean, we're going to talk about Nick Abrelsic and the field and, and the championship, but one of the things that really stood out to me was, and I think this was at the director's um, uh, kind of get-together there um, the one evening, the amount of volunteers that you had at the honors course it was funny. You never, you know, you hear the the polite applause when you're introducing this director or that director and this person and that person. But I distinctly remember when it was announced how many volunteers were going to be at the honors. Everyone, it was like a gasp. It was like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Can you talk about the volunteers at the, at the Southern? Uh, absolutely. And, and I'll, and there's really two different groups. And at first I want to talk about the Southern Golf Association Board of Directors. Uh, they are all volunteers. You know, these gentlemen love the game of golf. They spend their own money, uh, take their time off from work, away from their families. Some bring their wives, some don't. Uh, and they come and spend um, you know, thousands of dollars a year just traveling to support the Southern Golf Association. So we have our board of directors over here on the on the left but then over to the right we had this year a group called the chattanooga classic club yeah that 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 tim harrelson um is co-chair of and they were able to recruit over 275 volunteers (laughs) this year to help us with live scoring with spotting with parking with ecology filling up water coolers and ice and um it's just an amazing group of people that they have been together for 20 plus years and any major event golf wise that that happens in the greater chattanooga area they have been involved in whether it was corn ferry events whether it was the you know uh, Southern Am, this is a you know with us with the Tennessee Golf Association when they have events in the area, uh, NCAA college events. I mean, you you name it. They they put out the um, the the SOS to everybody in their group, and I and, and I may have this number wrong, but I want to say Tim told me they have like 800 members in in their in their club, and they spend. You know, the, they probably spent forty or fifty dollars each to just get a tournament hat and a, and a tournament shirt and right. volunteer this week. And you know, the, all they really 
get out of it is to be inside the ropes, uh, you know, a little deli buffet lunch each day. Um, so it's, it's really, uh, it's really remarkable. And they, um, that group really made it feel like a, a major national amateur championship that, you know, we, we, it always feels that way. I think at at an SGA, but it just was at a completely different level this year. And, um, you know, one, when we had, we had a board meeting on Tuesday afternoon and I, and I told our, our board, I said, you know, this, this hopefully looks and feels like a USGA championship. Just, we're just missing a letter on the front end, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I, and I said, and I seriously believe and feel that, you know, I've, I've been and worked enough USGA championships to, to, to see what goes on at those events and see what we, uh, in coordination with the honors course and a Chattanooga classic club this pl- past week, what we were able to, to pull off and assemble. And, um, you know, it's a really good test run because the honors course is going to host the U S senior amateur next fall yeah, and the U S amateur in 2031. And, you know, we'll be back for the Southern amateur there, uh, probably 10 or 11 years down the road as well. So, um, they are, they are, true to their word about um amateur golf and supporting amateur golf and you know their 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 staff and leadership at the honors course is just second to none 275 volunteers to put that in perspective that is basically one and a half volunteers per player mm-hmm. i mean think and of- the well i was gonna say just the logistics you know yeah. it's one thing to you know have the players have the directors and officials and staff and the club staff it's another thing to have to manage 275 volunteers yeah the moving parts of of those folks especially with all the weather issues that we had coordinating changing we had to do a lot of things on the fly of this was plan a now it's plan b and we've gone to plan c or d it seemed like at at different points throughout the week so uh you know hats off to tim harrelson and, and the chattanooga classic club because they they are an amazing group of people and uh we cannot thank them enough for being a major part of the tournament last week now, Andy, you mentioned that word that I was going to delic- delicately bring up to you, and that was weather. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, we'll just we'll just hit it head on. Uh, this was the first time in I think thirty years that the Southern Amateur had to go down to a fifty-four hole event instead of seventy-two. Which, considering that uh, the name of your organization is Southern, and you're playing a <laughs> tournament in July. I think that's a hell of a run for 30 years to not have to. I think that's incredible. So we're, we're just going to leave it at that. But, you know, the one thing I wanted to quickly touch on before we get, we talk to the champion is, you know, I think the strengths and the weaknesses of a golf tournament and also the the, the association that or the, or the tournament staff or directors of the association, whoever is responsible for her, for hosting it, I think the strengths and the weaknesses are – basically exemplified and shown through clearly when there is a weather situation. And man, I was in that tournament office uh, a few times and obviously we had two massive rain delays, but really was very impressed with, and I know the players were too, because a lot of them mentioned it to me that, 
you know, a lot of thought went into getting that tournament completed. The decisions were made. The communication was clear. Talk a little bit about, for people that maybe weren't on the inside, how did the decision come to pass that it would be reduced to a, a three-round tournament uh, as opposed to a, a four-round tournament and, um, and just all the, all the pieces that were involved with making that happen so seamlessly? Well, the, thank you uh, for, for those kind words. I mean, you, you, like you said, you were, you were uh, within arm's reach uh, at, at a lot of times throughout the week, and you got to see firsthand, you know, what, what goes on back in the war room to, um, you know, to, to make these events what, what they are. And, you know, I'm a big, strong believer in communication. I always try to put myself on the other end of, of, you know, what the players need to know, families, um, you know, club personnel, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, with all the weather issues, we weren't just updating the players. You know, we had a 66 person text list that we were sending information to, including yourself and, uh, media club staff, um, volunteers, our board, our, our own staff, uh, just making sure everybody was in the loop on exactly what we were thinking. Um, you know, we weren't trying to hide anything throughout the process. We right. wanted to be forthright. And, and I think that's all you can, all you can do in those tough situations is just be honest with, with, um, you know, with the players and everybody that's involved. And, you know, we, we, anytime you go into a championship like that, you know, our goal is to play 72 holes. And, and like you said, it'd been 30 years and I totally agree. It was a heck of a run <laughs> for the last 30 years. Somehow, um, you, you look back, you know, how in the world has, has this not happened since then? And, um, so I think there's a lot of good fortune that goes into that, but you know, with over 14 hours of weather delays, um, the first couple of days and, and frankly, and you were there, Ben, we got lucky on Friday to even get uh, round two completed. We had three different storm cells that came pretty close to us, and Mother Nature gave us a little reprieve, thankfully, on Friday. So we were able to at least complete round two and and um, you know, make the cut and, and play the final round on Saturday. But, you know, to, to answer your question, you know, really I give credit to Joel Davenport and Kurt Faxon on our amateur competition committee, because, um, you know, that's, that's the, that's one of the good things about having committees is they can bring in different perspectives and, and ideas and thoughts about, um, various items. And, and, you know, they came into the office and we got to talking and they brought up a great point. And this was Thursday night when this conversation happened, that we were looking at the forecast. We were looking at where we were in the tournament. We had just teed off round two and we only had a few players on the golf course. And we knew we needed a lot of luck on Friday just to finish round two. And the, the thought of playing 36 holes on Saturday with even more uncertain weather, knowing players needed to get to the U.S. Junior players needing to get to Vancouver for the Pacific Coast Amateur. Um, you know, we needed to get back to Birmingham because we have Alabama Golf Association of Championships this week. You know, so everybody's got somewhere to be. And, and we just felt it was in everybody's best interest, including the club, their staff and personnel who 
would have done whatever our wishes were. Um, But I can tell you, I think when we made the decision and the announcement that we were going to shorten the championship on Thursday night, the 54 holes, I think there was a little bit of a collective sigh of relief from, from everybody and making that decision at that point in time gave most of the field, not everybody, but gave most of the field the knowledge that there was only 36 holes left in the tournament and to game plan accordingly. Yeah. So that's really how it all, how it all kind of came to came to fruition. We just felt it was um, everybody's best interest to um, to shorten it and get everybody home at a at a decent hour or out of town on on Saturday afternoon, and that was what we were able to do. And, you know, ultimately what you're looking for is you're looking to crown a worthy champion, which you did. You're looking for a little excitement down the stretch in the final round. Well, that's what I'm looking for. Let's be honest. I mean, maybe the tournament tournament staff at this point are like, let's just get a trophy handed out. But, hey, got a 64 in the final round. You got a guy that's on the, um, you know, Walker Cup watch list uh, in Nick Gabrelsic. I mean, it's a hell of a finish. But I will tell you, the one thing I'm going to remember, and I think I might be uh, permanently damaged by is I don't know I'm going to be able to walk past a 55 inch TV with with a Doppler radar lightning heat maps on it and ever think of anything other than the Southern Amateur ever again. <laughs> I mean, that yeah that that huge TV in the tournament office with the, with all the lightning strikes and the the Doppler radar and man I just remember everyone just looking at that thing just saying is it going to go here is it going to go there and. and I don't think I'll ever be able to look at at a map like that ever again without thinking about the 2023 Southern Amateur. I can tell you safely that I don't think I've ever, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I don't think I've ever sat there on pins and needles watching a radar as intently (laughs) as, as I did. And, you know, we have a, we have a member of our board who has a meteorology degree that, um, you know, can, that, that assists us with that you know, looking at the weather patterns of what's coming. Uh, but it was pretty clear this week. You didn't need to have a doctorate in meteorology no. to see what, what was happening on the, on the radar. We just happened to be in that. Um, there was one point, I think we panned out to the United States to see what, where else it was raining. And, and I believe Tennessee was the only place in the country that was receiving rain uh, for for a while there. So you know, it, it it just happens. Sometimes we call ourselves the drought busters when we go to uh, <laughs> to, to, to clubs that you know, if you're in a drought, just host a major golf championship, and um, you know, hey, we can we can probably probably help help take care of any any shortfalls in rain. Uh, that you've occurred to that point in the year. The great championship, and uh, look forward to next year. We're heading to uh, Lexington for the Southern Amateur, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we're heading into Pack Coast, then Western Am. Uh, I know I'm going to see you uh, in Chicago at uh, at North Shore for that. Uh, before I let you go, what do you what are you most looking forward to as the Elite Amateur Golf Series comes to a close in just uh, in just two short weeks? You know, the Western Amateur is going to be the deciding event. And, uh, you know, when we when we started the series, we always felt like we want it to come down to the Western Amateur Championship and 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 have it decided there. You know, you got to give Caleb Surratt credit for last year. He had it in the bag and had it won before he even teed it up and 
at, at the Western. But this year, it's going to be a lot closer. Um, you know, there's some guys out playing uh, at the Pac-Am this week that can, you know, certainly if they play well and win, they can jump up into the in the conversation um, heading into the Western. But it's certainly going to be a um, uh, uh, an exciting week um, at the Western Amateur to see who wins the Elite Amateur Cup this year. I'm going to let you get back to your duties in Alabama. I uh, have things to tend to before I see you in Chicago for the Western Amateur, but uh, thank you again for all the hospitality at the Southern Amateur, and uh, I'll be seeing you soon. You got it, Ben. Thank you. Appreciate the great work and the partnership we have this year. It's, it's been awesome. Nick Abrelsic captured the 117th Southern Amateur Championship after his incredible 64 in the final round at the Honors course. Nick is a rising senior at the University of North Florida, and with all eyes on the Southern Amateur, especially the eyes of the Walker Cup Selection Committee, he authored the signature round of the championship, picked up the trophy, and stepped forward as one of the best young American amateurs that could find their way onto the Walker Cup team. Nick, fantastic performance last week. Congratulations. Welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Awesome. Well, both of us have made it out of Utawa, Tennessee after the Southern Amateur. Uh, I left with a uh, little bit of a sunburn. You did the same, but also picked up that uh, that Adair trophy as this year's champion. How have the last two days been for you uh, trying to recover from the heat and uh, also celebrating that win? It's been fun. Got Had a long drive back, about seven hours to Jacksonville. It was quite bored but it was a lot better drive knowing that i'm coming off a win rather than losing so that was going in my favor and then i came back to some teammates who returned to jacksonville and we all just kind of celebrated a little bit last night with each other and just had a good time now i know that drive pretty well so uh for listeners at the back of the range and hearing a player doing a long six seven hour drive from tennessee to florida they're thinking themselves I know what they're thinking. Are they thinking, did Nick Abrelsic stop by a Bucky's on the way to Jacksonville? Yes or no, sir? I did. There you go. Okay. All right. It's, it's, a, it's an important stop. You, you can't go without it. All right. Let's derail this episode right now and talk about what what does Nick Abrelsic get at Bucky's? What is your go-to? Um, do you have a specific strategy or are you just kind of waste 20 minutes in there looking at way too much uh, candy and snacks and stuff? Probably more that route, okay. just getting out of the car as much as possible, wasting some time and try to mix it up a little bit every time I stop by. Yeah, I go with the club sandwich all the time. For some reason, I just can't I can't get off of that. I've I've had it a few times. It's it's definitely a top option. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Um, this this tournament, you know, most amateurs kind of set their schedule for the entire summer and they, they kind of target specific events. I know I saw you at the Northeast Amateur up at Wanamoiset. But uh, hadn't seen you since then. Uh, didn't see you at Transmiss. Didn't see you at North and South. Didn't see you at Santa Hannah. So that was really your only tournament of the summer. And, you know, you pick up this win at the Southern Amateur. I, I know the story that it wasn't, I mean, I know it wasn't something you specifically targeted. Can you just talk about a little bit of the randomness of how you ended up even in the field? Yeah, so the the plan was not to make an appearance at the Southern Am this year. Um I had a bachelor slash bachelorette party in Nashville, and at the time I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be prepared or ready to play 
this event. So I, it was not in the books and it's my last summer before professional golf as I'm going into senior year. So I kind of just wanted a, a month to just enjoy it, see friends that I haven't seen in a while, hang out with family, but didn't have a great performance at the Northeast Dam and um, trying to fight for my spot on the Walker Cup team. And Joel Davenport texted me a few weeks prior to the event saying, hey, if you reconsidered playing, we have a spot saved for you. And I talked to everyone around me and it just, it seemed like the smart idea, especially if I want to make the Walker Cup team to sign up for Southern Am and go play it. Now, I don't want you to um, to ignore the the privacy and uh, and trust that everyone puts in you at a bachelor slash bachelorette party. I, I've never been to to one of these these combo deals. I mean, I'm picturing you know cornhole and perhaps an alcoholic beverage or two, and then manicures and pedicures at the same time. Is that how that works? Like, can you walk me through just a thirty thousand foot level of what a bachelor slash bachelorette party looks like yeah um it's it's definitely a weird scenario this is my first bachelor party i've ever been on so okay. the first one i've ever gone on was both parties together so is the only thing i really know but i've always heard that's not how it's normally meant to be right but <laughs> we, we basically it was yeah just all going out having some fun and then we decided to rent a pool for about three hours and get both groups together for a couple hours played ping pong cornhole basketball just enjoyed each other's time and then we we did our own stuff played golf one day had our own separate dinners so it was it was a mix of both worlds which was kind of nice we weren't all with each other the entire time gotcha so basically it was kind of a you know, way to geographically make things easier. It sounds like. Yeah, there were definitely no pedicures there, or else I would have been out on that one. Okay, all right. Well, that's uh, all right. That's a that's a hard stance here at the back of the range. Nick Gabrelson <laughs> doesn't like pedicures. All right, we've not, we've, not a huge fan. Okay, we've covered all that. Um, well, joking aside, you know, talking about just kind of fitting this tournament into your schedule, kind of, I guess, kind of last minute, you know. The, the college season is really long. I mean, I think, you know, you're playing probably a dozen tournaments and that's not counting any qualifiers or practice rounds. You know, you have schoolwork and travel and really trying to stay physically and mentally healthy throughout the year is a priority. You know, most people might say, well, why wouldn't an amateur that can get into all these great tournaments just play in every single one? But can you just kind of speak to, I mean, this is your third season now at the uh, University of North Florida. Can you speak to just kind of the toll that a college golf season takes on on players? Yeah, I don't I don't think a lot of people realize that we we're in college, obviously, but it's it's a full time job. We're busy basically every day of the week if we're not traveling with schoolwork, qualifying, or just practice on our own. So it's it's definitely a long and stressful year and you definitely hit it on the nose you gotta somehow find time to just take care of yourself and your body and your mental health or else you'll just get lost in the season and what you're doing so it's it's a full-time job in my opinion even though we are in college and are supposed to be enjoying the whole college experience you're a three-time All-American, University of North Florida Ospreys, um, you know, native of, of Florida, played a lot of uh, Florida State Golf Association tournaments. I mean, amateur match play champion, public links, uh, junior player of the year. You really have the 
the um, the desired resume of any junior golfer out of the state of Florida. What drew you to UNF when, you know, with your resume, with the, you know, AJGA accomplishments on your, on your resume, what, what drew you there as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a little bit North of you in some sec country, what drew you to UNF? Just the whole program itself. I had a great connection with coach Schroeder from the get go. And then all my teammates that, either have graduated or are still with me or even coming in as freshmen this year. We all played with each other on the Florida junior tour or FSGA championship. So we kind of already had those relationships built. And when I took my visits and talked to coach, it just, it was the right fit for me. It's not too far from home. It's also not close. So I'm kind of off on my own, but if I ever need anything, I can just make the quick three and a half hour drive back. So it, it just seemed like the right fit for me. This Southern amateur was, um, you know, it it got moved from 72 holes to 54 holes. I just spoke with uh, Andy priest, the executive director of the uh, Southern golf association and the elite amateur golf series. He wears a lot of hats, but we spoke about what went into making that decision. But, you know, when that decision was made, you know, your two opening rounds at the honors, uh, 71, 70, you know, three under after, after two rounds, uh, you know, not, um, you know, not bad, but obviously you're not really in that, in that hunt or thinking that you're going to be in the hunt. You're probably thinking, okay, I got a lot of ground to make up in these two rounds and I'm kind of in the middle of the pack. When, um, when the decision was made and you found out that this tournament would be moved to a three round tournament, um, you know, what were your immediate thoughts? How did you kind of prep for, for that last day? Yeah, obviously I was prepared for 72 holes and I've been two more rounds. So I definitely was like more comfortable with the situation I was in. Knew uh, I had the firepower to go out there for two more rounds and jump up the leaderboard quite a bit. But when we got the news, it was moved to 54 holes. It was more of just, okay, you put yourself in this situation now you're gonna have to do something really special if you want to get back in it but i was more on the mindset of let's just go out and enjoy the enjoy the round enjoy having my dad on the bag for the first time since i've been 11 or 12 years old and wherever we end up at the end of the day is where we end up but luckily i caught fire and had one of those great rounds and it all worked out in the end you mentioned your dad on the bag. I think I talked to your mother at some point, either after the final round or maybe while you guys were still coming down 17 or 18. I can't remember, but I think she said this was like the first time he's caddied for you since junior golf. Do I have that right? Yeah, it, it has been a very, very long time. <laughs> okay, so you're not sure you're getting into this tournament. That's a last-minute decision. When when did you kind of make the decision? When did you and your dad decide to, to kind of – uh, get the band back together, so to speak, and have them uh, caddy for you. Yeah, they, so I carried my bag the first two rounds, and they saw how exhausted I was with the heat and the delays and where I was just coming off from. And he mentioned it at dinner the night before the final round. He was like, why don't I try giving it a go on the bag? And i not going to lie, I was a little... <laughs> suspect of it at first because he's my dad and he's not the youngest human being in the world anymore but very very well said that is that is just get into politics (laughs) get rid of this golf thing you got politics in your future i love it (laughs) 
but after after we talked about it for an hour or two i said all right like we'll we'll give it a go but you you got to promise that if things go south early on in the round you're gonna you're gonna give me the bag and i can just ride it out the rest of the way but he he held his own out there he made it through all 18 holes even though sometimes it may not have looked like it but he he got it done so your your mom's watching this so on, on one side of she's like rooting for her son and, and hoping he can put together a magical round to win the championship and then the other side she's she's a concerned wife thinking oh my gosh i hope he just doesn't you know face plant in a fairway somewhere so she's really she had the rough the worst and the hardest day i think yeah, she de- she wasn't the only one worrying, but she definitely had some decisions or yeah decisions to make on the course of watching me cheering me on, but also making sure my dad <laughs> didn't end up face down on the thirteenth hole. So you're really not too concerned about your own game and thinking about the the ramifications of of shooting sixty four or seventy four. You're thinking, let's just get my dad in the house in one piece. Yes, that that was where my mindset was most of the day. Was let's let's make sure nothing serious happens other than golf. Wow, in this all situation. right, this this could be a new trend. Uh, this I got could... I got to be a son too, as much as a golfer. I got to look out for him. Yeah, all right, I see it. Surround yourself with uh, with uh, with other things that keep you concerned, and that way the golf is just it's secondary. I think I I see a trend here. This uh, this could work. So this final round, you're you're six back. You know, when the dust settles and and you got that trophy in your hand, you had actually jumped up twenty three spots to to pick up the win. Now you're you're two under through eight. Nothing. I mean, nice start, but we're it's not exactly sending everyone in the media center racing out to the golf course to find out what's going on. You pick up a birdie on nine, make the turn. Was there any conversation with your dad or or internally about you know what you might need to do to actually make this happen? No. So normally. This was an odd experience for me. Because normally, I'm a, I'm a leaderboard checker. I like knowing where I'm at. But this, the whole day, I didn't look at the leaderboard once, so I, I had no way of knowing where I was at all. But I had a feeling after I birdie, made a good birdie on 11, got the four under, that I had something brewing a little bit for the remaining holes. There's a few holes that are gettable, 17. And a few par fours that are out there. So I was just thinking in my head, if we can maybe pick up one or two more, then I know we'll jump up the leaderboard, but maybe something could happen. It didn't play super easy out there. And eventually I just got it to eight under for the round and got in and saw I was three shots ahead. And I was surprised still, but also figured I would be around the lead at that time. Yeah, I um I remember you coming off of 18 and you uh you made that comment of not knowing uh, where you stood and I was like, well, I'm not going to ruin the surprise. He'll figure it out when he gets to scoring. So I kept my mouth shut. Now 17 you make eagle, really kind of the the highlight of uh I mean, really the highlight of the tournament uh for you. You know, you this this uphill par 5, you you place yourself perfectly in the fairway. I think we talked that you were uh, about 2 225 two something like that uh in and, um, yeah, that, that kind of that back and forth with your dad, I mean, walk me through the conversation on that hole, uh, that, that led you to Eagle. Yeah, he was, he was trying to convince me just to get one more birdie and just hit a cut to the middle of the green. And I was doing my own thing the whole day. So I was kind of just like, why am I going to listen to him now and start doing this? So I, I decided to just take out the five iron and hit a super high cut basically right at the pin and 
we saw it land up there and didn't see it go over the back. So I knew it was, I knew it was somewhere good, but I didn't expect it to be as close as it was. You mentioned something in passing that you kind of put your make-believe earbuds in all day. Does that sound about right? You mentioned something about Trish trying to completely zone out. How do you do that? Like, how is that a strategy that you've used in the past? How do you mentally just kind of shut everything off? You know, what do you even think about when you're trying to do that? Yeah, I don't, honestly, I don't really know what happens, but I've kind of learned over the past, since I've been in college, really just to be able to block everything out. Obviously, I know when there's people watching or when someone's talking to me, but I'm so focused on just the golf that I don't really pay attention or hear it that much. So I I use that to my advantage and did it a little bit with my dad, but I also took some of his advice throughout the day. I don't want to I don't want to give him no credit for the round. He definitely helped me out a little bit, but I I've found some way to just block out all the noise or distractions that are out there and just focus on what I have to do. And are you just at that time thinking about just being present and thinking about the numbers, thinking about the conditions, just trying to just take all that information in or or like how, how granular and simple do you make things? Is it just, there's my target, there's my number, this is the shot I want and that's it? Yeah, I do all my math. I get the yardage, the slope, and then I figure out where the wind is. And then I just see the flag and what shot I have to hit. And then I go. I'm not a super complicated person when it comes to golf. It's clearly, clearly working for you. Um, This, um, you know, you're, you're at the Walker Cup practice session in the, in the fall that included 16 American hopefuls to, uh, to make the team that heads over to St. Andrews. And, you know, this summer, if your name isn't Gordon Sargent, Michael Thurbjornsson, or David Ford, it's really completely wide open. You know, everyone is so bunched up on, you know, the World Amateur Golf Ranking Points list. At least in my eyes, it seems like, you know, someone has to step up and, and win something. And Nick Dunlap's done that. He's won twice this summer at the North and South and uh, at the Northeast. And, um, you know, winning any tournament, especially an Elite Amateur Series tournament, is I think the equivalent of stepping forward. Was that something that you were kind of thinking about this entire summer? Like I got to do something to kind of separate myself from the pack. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, like you said, it's so bunched on world amateur golf rankings that it's anybody's to go grab. So I figured throughout the summer, I have to do something to stand out. And then when I didn't play great at Northeast or qualify for us open, I knew time was running out. So the whole mindset for the rest of the summer was I probably got to win one of these next three events. If I'm going to make a statement and put my name in their eyes and luckily it all came to plan and hopefully it's enough. Well, I mean, it, it's definitely put you firmly in the conversation. I, I'm sure that news will be coming out soon about future picks and obviously everything's leading up to the U S amateur where, you know, the U.S. Amateur champion gets a spot on that team as well. So uh, we're, we're about a, yeah, we're, we're less than a month away of finding out which, uh, which 10 Americans are going to go to St. Andrews and represent uh, this country at the Walker Cup. I wanted to ask you a little bit, a little about college golf. You know, you were a former freshman player of the year. You won the Mickelson Award, and you, know, you are not going to be able to benefit from the PGA Tour Accelerated Program because, you know, you're entering your senior season um, next year, you'll take your chances against the rest of the seniors and try and grab that PGA Tour card or Corn Ferry card. You're you're trying to find a, a place to play in that uh, uh, you know this time next year. 
But you know, they're they're freshmen like Caleb Saran, Ben James, Luke Clanton, obviously Gordon Sargent's on the cusp of wrapping them up. But you've enjoyed a, a full college golf career, or you're about to next season. What's some advice that you can maybe pass along to to juniors and maybe freshmen that are just starting to get their feet wet in college golf? What have you learned throughout your entire college golf career that's going to help you next year as a senior and also when you turn pro? Yeah, like I said, like it is work, but the main thing that I've learned is just find a way to just enjoy golf and the time with your teammates and coaches as much as possible because it's serious but there's also just endless memories that you'll make and that will last a lifetime throughout the rest of your life so just finding out how to enjoy it the most is what's important to me and i think i've finally figured that out heading into senior year and i'm hoping that me and my team can just make even more memories for my last year and then also managing your time with practice school and rest it's difficult to do especially when you first get to college but it's all learning experience and after college when you turn pro you're gonna have to learn all that over again and try and figure out how to manage the rest of your life so it's just it's a mix of two or three things but i the most important thing is just having as much fun as possible and just enjoying the experience but no pedicures no pedicure. No, no pedicures. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. We covered that. Um, you, you you mentioned pro golf. Now you did actually, uh, you know, take a little visit this past spring to the the professional ranks as an amateur. You played in your hometown event, the Valspar. Um, probably the biggest name I think in amateur golf over the last twelve months. It's got the most attention. Is uh, is Ludwig Aberg. Um, he's moved on, obviously, from a, a great career at Texas Tech. Um, I'm just curious. You know, you both made the cut at that tournament. I'm not saying to compare yourself with, you know, with every club in the bag to, to Ludwig, but where he's at is where you want to be next year. What are maybe the, are there parts of your game or your approach that aren't quite at that level yet? Like what are the things that maybe you're going to work on cleaning up in your senior season to get you prepared to make the impact in professional golf that he's immediately made, like just right out of college? The biggest thing is the mental side of golf. I've played with Ludwig. I played against him in Palmer Cup two years ago in Geneva, and I've seen him at plenty other college events and the Valspar, and he, you can never tell when he's coming off a bogey or a birdie. He just always looks the same, whereas for me, I'm still learning that aspect of the game, just trying to stay level-headed and not let anything really affect me emotionally, good or bad. And that's the biggest difference that I've noticed between me and Ludwig or even some other amateur golfers that are in my position. So that's what I'm going to be working on the most in my senior year. Now, I will say that you're 64 in the final round of the Southern. Your personality and your approach and your demeanor, it, it was Aberg-esque. I will give you that. It didn't, you probably couldn't tell that you were shooting 64. Yeah, you made a comment, no fist pump on 17. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's one thing that I forgot to do, but it also (laughs) goes with the whole aspect of what I was saying, to try and keep keep the pedal down with no emotion yeah i was i got in position to take a photo of of the fist pump and i i should have known better i'm like why am i even here i mean i know it's gonna happen he's gonna brush this in and just move on but that's what you have to do i mean clearly it's working but yeah i, I saw that and i was like 
well, that was a wasted opportunity for a really good picture. I could have got the fist bump there and no, just, uh, just didn't happen. So if I, if I probably would have known where I was at, it's where I do regret not looking at a leaderboard. If I would have known where I was at, I probably would have gave you a good fist bump there, but I, I have no idea. I, I appreciate that. Although in the future, you do not need to take my, uh, you know, my professional aspirations and my responsibilities to heart while you're trying to win a golf tournament. You do not need to do that. But I, I like that you said it now that that means uh, that does mean something. But um, we're, we're entertainers out there, too. See, we got to shine for the camera. See, that's that's what you got to do. You got to entertain. I mean, that's you're getting it. Hey, you got you got a year. To, you have a year of college golf to work on that. So, I mean. You know, two footers, three footers, just work on fist pumping those and build yourself out to like 30 and 40 footers. You'll get there. We'll go, we'll practice it on the putting green whenever we're preparing for events. Well, I think actually what I should do is in practice rounds, I should just get the whole team when I'm driving around taking pictures, I should just grab the team on one putting green and just say, okay, guys, just stage some fist pumps for me. And then I just kind of keep a library of those and I can use them as needed. That's actually a great idea. I think I'm just going to do that because I there's no why am I racing over to try and get them because I'm not getting a lot of fist pumps anymore to be honest with you unless it's a match play situation I don't no one everyone's just locked in their own thing and I, I I've just noticed that in the last year or two there's not a lot of fist pumps. I th- I think that might be something we need to do at Western just get everyone on the putting green and just have a fist pump challenge See, and that way you have all of them. That's a that's a good I'm going to do that. I think we're going to do that. Now, we're talking about match play. I forgot to ask you. You're you have a pretty good record with match play. Um, you know, I mean, gosh, the next couple of weeks we're talking, you know, Western Amateur USAM both have a match play component. You're three-time Palmer Cupper. You made semis in the USAM at Oakmont. Uh, really last year at the USAM for the most part, I think it arguably you gave Sam Bennett, the eventual champion, the the toughest match of his run. I believe you took him 19, 20 holes, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 19 holes. What makes you a good match play player? I like the one-on-one aspect a lot more than the one versus however many are in the field. I just, yeah, I I don't know what it is, but I think it's just going up against one person it just brings out something different and match play is just so much more enjoyable. I wish there were more match play events in college or in amateur golf tournaments. It's just, it's a cool environment to be in. I think it's arguably more exciting, but I don't know. I've just always been a huge fan of the one-on-one match play component. Is it also good because I guess technically you're, you don't have to watch a leaderboard. I mean, just have to watch the guy in front of you. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, you you always know where you're at because right. it's just you versus the guy. You don't have to go look at a leaderboard or worry about the group behind you playing. It's just you versus that guy. So you're saying match play would produce more fist pumps? I definitely think match play would produce more fist pumps. Okay. Okay. Just want to get that on re- recorded and on record that Nick Abrelsic uh, is more prone to fist pumps in match play. Got it. Yes. Perfect. Okay. We got that on record. Well, I'm going to leave you to it. Uh, you got some prep before really the two biggest uh, tournaments of the summer. You got the Western Am, got North Shore. That is just a, a marathon. And then uh, the U.S. Amateur out at Cherry Hills in Denver. We'll be seeing you at both of those. Uh, appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Congrats on your win at the Southern. And uh, I'll see you in a few days. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here.
And there you have it. Special thanks to Andy Priest from the Southern Golf Association and the new champion of the Southern Amateur, Nick Abrelsic, for joining me this week here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Everything you need to know about the Back of the Range can be found at thebackoftherange.com. And the Elite Amateur Golf Series, learn more about that at EliteAmateurGolfSeries.org. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.